Okay. Okie doke. Right, um, I just need to get my fucking screen sorted out, so I've got my notes and shit up. While you're doing that, uh, your talk earlier about, like, mate, wa wanting to just see lines go up and make graphs rise, do you remember there was a period of internet game where it was, it was like one step post Newgrounds, but it was one step before, like, what, Facebook games? And so it was the, in the interim of, like, in-browser game, it, it, a, a real dark era of in-browser gaming. Um, and there was, the, there was one game that everyone played for about a week called Cookie Clicker. And you clicked yes. on a cookie, <laughs> and then it gave you a cookie. And then once you got enough cookies, you could spend the cookies in order to uh, buy, like, automatic uh, cookie clickers. And really, what would happen is you would just make a number go up, and that's it. And it just said, click on the cookie to make the number go up. And people, it, and people did it for hours and hours and hours and hours. And yeah. uh, I, I, I mean, I just, I think in, in terms of what you were saying before we started about just liking to watch graphs go up, like what a fucking stupid species we are. It's like, oh, look, this number is going higher. <laughs> it's going higher and it's accelerating. Riley, look at the number. Uh, Riley, I've got good news for you because uh, in a recent patch, they implemented a stock market in the uh, cookie clicker browser. <laughs> so you can now watch lines go up within your line going up game. Oh, perfect! I look the the This is the most perfect representation, I think, of like if you want to understand what our economy is, it's the cookie clicker economy, where the line just kind of goes up because just because that's just how it goes, and it's not really connected to anything other than just clicking cookies. Like in this case, it's like instead of clicking cookies, it's like complex option trades that are um that are are driven by you know SoftBank deciding that it's gonna just like really fuck with all of its options brokerages and just buy like the most calls on Tesla that have ever been bought on one security ever in the history of the stock market. <laughs> and that just making line go up. Like, what is what is the appreciable difference in terms of the material world between that and Cookie Clicker? Well, I suppose in Cookie Clicker, you can conceptually have some kind of influence over it by pushing buttons and then the line goes up or down in and of itself rather than just uh -huh. uh, completely inscrutable lines that just seem to go up of their own volition irrespective of the conditions of the planet. Speaking of numbers going up, did everyone see that thing with Glenn Beck talking to some dipshit who found a Vox? Oh yesterday? yeah, one billion Americans. Yeah, one billion <laughs> Americans. I've got I've got a crazy I've got a crazy idea though. Like look, he's looking at Matty Glacius and Glenn Beck. I'm like, yo, let's get a one billion husky Americans. Like I was a husky boy growing up, and those two guys, those are that's some real um, that's some real uh uh, uh thirty two leg thirty four waist. Let's go. Are we got. <laughs> Are we are we going one for one like husky American to skinny American, or are we are we having some kind of conversion ratio there? Because I feel like <laughs> one billion husky Americans is substantially more work than one billion otherwise slender Americans. No, check this out. Check this out. It's one billion Americans, all of whom are called real bruisers on their football team. <laughs> it's, uh, it's it's one billion Americans, none of whom are bullies and are like kind of fat, but like. And like a kid way, where you think maybe they'll like you know really grow into themselves. <laughs> it is it is it is one billion Americans who are just try who are trying to run around and play tag, but accidentally keep pushing people over because they don't know their own strength. <laughs> Sounds like the prime market for some Coke Brothers shots. <laughs> That's right. Um, yeah, that, yeah, about a billion Americans. Great, fine, um, awesome. Why not? Like, like at this point, sure. You know, I mean, it's it's. I mean, nothing. Matt Iglesias has ever. 
Nothing Matt Iglesias has ever suggested has ever been taken seriously by anyone in power, it seems. He just puts on a different hat every every sort of couple of years and tries to be an expert in something. And he's just he's just basically because he's he's basically owes his career to Freakonomics. Right. Right. Where he he tries to do these like he tries the whole all because Vox is basically set up to be this like this explainer service that gets under the news and, you know, tells you the one real thing that actually matters. And he's basically just like a sort of free economics fan site for, you know, other blue tech wonks. I love to do, love so, to do augury on the news. <laughs> yeah, effectively. <laughs> effectively. Yeah. Uh, so the whole I think the whole one billion Americans thing is, is quite cute because it just doesn't address any of what would have to happen to like make that viable total failure to engage with like why the population is plummeting like a stone um why birth rates are low it's just like well to be sure well you know there will be programs of course and it's like oh go well that's it's good good to have goals you know (laughs) i just love the idea that like uh, if you if you got to a billion americans they would all as as a like unify as a group and defeat china you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it wouldn't just make the inevitable like coming civil war that much more like interesting. Well, I mean, it would be babies, right? It would be babies fighting the civil war. Unless yeah. everyone's going to wait for the babies to be eighteen, because like, how you are you going? How what's your curve upwards for a billion Americans? Is it going to be? And also, why does Glenn Beck want a billion Americans? I mean, if I if I know if I know anything about Americans, it's that they would absolutely draft babies to fight in a civil war. Yeah, it's cool because <laughs> it's cute. It's like the puppy bowl of the civil war. Well, did you see that thing the other day with like someone claiming? I can't remember what it was in response to, but someone was saying that like um, everyone in America should be drafted in the military. Um, uh-huh. as, yep. part okay. of this, as part of their school program, and people were going like, "Well, surely you have to wait until they're eighteen to teach them how to use guns." And people were posting a, a video of a seven-year-old girl doing like a like dual wielding Glocks and doing mag gumps, mag dumps at targets. That's a uh, okay. It's awesome. Awesome. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, I went sounds to great. Canada with the cadets when I was 16 and you know, 16 I could already fire a gun and shit like that but they, there were some American cadets on an exchange thing as well and they had been in that programme since they were like 8 years old young marines and the brain damage on a teenager I have never seen anything as comparable with these folk in my life it was fucking terrifying like they do that shit already it's just it's there mm-hmm <laughs> Yeah, it's all it's it's always been there as well. Like not none of this is actually new. It's just new it's just newly respectable. Um yeah, it's uh it's gro- I mean I, I, weirdly, I mean there there I mean obviously the whoever anyone saying that people in America should be made to join the army from the age of I don't know. Also what's really funny number 1 is all the people who say you should be made to join the army from the age of 11 or whatever. Like instead of a Hogwarts letter you get drafted. Um <laughs> Just all, all, all of those people, like, I, I know it's hacked to point this out, but I just, I do like remembering that literally all of those people were like, I don't know, negative 10 years old by the time World War II ended, never just got like, the government just gave them a job, like, you know, sorting nails or whatever for like $90,000 a year or, or in, in 1960 money or what have you. And then just, and now they're like, you know, I think I'm... I was I, I I turned out great, but you know I think these, you know everyone under the age of of, of fourteen should really like you know what they, they look at they say hey you know what they're they're more Iranian than you might give them credit for <laughs> they looked at like the um 
the uh, the battalions of like uh, school children in the uh, first Iran Iraq War that were like sent to go walk over minefields, and they're like, "Yes, we're gonna do that. We're gonna do that thing. <laughs> awesome. We need it. We uh, it's just it's pure Ayatollah shit. Except you know, well, in the case in the case of the Ayatollah, well, like uh, at least they're somewhat social. Trump's wanting to do like um, Hitler Youth style shit. So why the fuck not? You know, like just marry those two bad boys together, and off you go. There you got your uh, completely openly fascist fascist state, exactly like you intended. Yeah, one yeah. of the most one of the most prominent side effects of prolonged exposure to lead fumes is believing that you personally won World War Two. I think mm-hmm. that's right. <laughs> but hey, um, I, I, you're, you've got, uh, you've got a, a whole, a whole uh, smorgasbord of subjects today, don't we? I'm very excited. I don't have to yes. be a showrunner today, which rules. <laughs> I must be Kenny's welcome change. You have no idea. No one's. No one is here doing a an impression. <laughs> He's calling you out, Riley. Yeah. <laughs> oh fuck. Um. Yeah. So, welcome to Podcasting Praxis. Um. The podcast you've been listening to for the last five or so minutes. Um. And we have a special guest today, and um, Riley, which you may have noticed from Hello. the podcast that you're not listening to now, Trash Future. That's right. Uh, Steph, if you're listening to it now, pause. Listen to this, and then <laughs> listen to that one later. And what I say at the beginning, which is the podcast you're listening to right now, you will then that will be true for you. So both of these things will be true. It won't be overdetermined. Uh, I hope that's not confusing. Uh, that was like Inception. <laughs> I'm completely lost yeah. now. If you're listening, <laughs> right. if you're listening along at home, just pause when you feel like you got a good quip and add it yourself, and then we'll laugh along with you. Aha! Uh-huh. How? Okay, let's do one right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, ooh, good one. Well done, you. See, it's not that I'm sure hard. we won't hear that throughout the episode. Yeah, um, so we're, we're going to talk about comedy, um, because this is the thing that every other podcast has done, and Sinan's going to stream on this this week as well, even though we planned this episode like three fucking weeks ago or some shit, so yeah, um, late to the party as usual, but here we are. Um, the Director General of the BBC, when he took over and he did his first speech, one of the first things that he publicly shat his pants over was the um, prevalence of left-wing comedy on the BBC. <laughs> That's right. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's, uh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, uh, citation m- m- fucking needed. Yeah, uh, what are you talking about? Uh, Miss- Mrs. Brown's Boys, The Soviet, was my favourite uh, My favorite movie <laughs> of 2019. Um, where, where, Mrs. Brown, where Mrs. Brown becomes a... Uh, a um a, a general in the People's Liberation Army, and then di- and then directs the boys to go get the landlords. Come on, that's hilarious. <laughs> you see, the boys. Have, have, is we, a have we been watching the same editions of Mrs. Brown's Boys? The boys is a, a euphemism for Marxism Leninism. So yeah, yeah. Mrs. Brown's Boys, Marxist Leninist. <laughs> I'm getting done dirty by BBC Scotland here. <laughs> I mean, I think I think the 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 only TV show that could even be like. In the region of being considered left wing, and I use the words left wing very, very advisedly, is like uh, the Mash Report, and like it, the bits that are good about it, which is pretty much Nish Kumar, are you know fairly good. But like everything else around it is clearly implemented in order to like assuage the uh, you know foaming at the mouth anger that your typical gammon is going to have over the fact that. Uh, well, first of all, there is a brown man on TV, but also the fact that he maybe has some bad things to say about the government, which it seems mm. to me is very rare to see in comedy at the moment. So, 
you know, you take it where you can get it, but all the rest of uh, um, the match report, I think it's just fucking dross. Mm, I, I mean, yeah. what else is on B? Well, it's the, the, the Have I Got News For You Twitter account is... Oh, um, fuck me. <laughs> No, the, the Have I Got News For You Twitter account, I think, has is actually awesome. I think it has to be appreciated as, like, so, like strange outsider art. Uh, or, equally, <laughs> the Have I Got News For You Twitter account. Because I love when they have news for me. Um, I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm, to... I love I'm news. Go. Uh, I, I'm going to go check it out, it. yeah. Um, and just imagining, like, just, uh, just imagining that someone has to write that. Um, I, 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 you have to wonder, then... Do they have... Because the account is run by Hat Trick, who make Have I Got News for them. Um, the BBC have asked us to point out that it's nothing to do with them. The Twitter feed, that is, not the TV show. You see, the problem is, that's really threatening to Capital. That that couple of that bio right there. So, you know, and, and, and when Paul Merton does the gym face, you know, you, you really need to... Um, <laughs> Because it, interestingly, Paul Merton actually invented the gym face, which is uh, as again as we all know from left wing comedy workplace uh, comedy, The Office, is uh, the, the main way that workers can resist bosses' power is making the gym face at them. It's a wonder they don't call it the Paul mm-hmm. face, really. Mm, exactly. Yeah. Well, it's that Paul Paul Merton didn't want to take credit for it, and uh, and John Krasinski is you know not he's not just working class; he's also Polish. So you know you need to get that to get the, they, so they need to work together need to make sure that, that idea gets to him and that he can take credit for it. And that's the way that Paul Merton can lift someone else up, um, and then they can be in um and uh, uh the the movie about how you know if um if Venezuela blew up the moon or whatever. And John Krasinski, he obviously being so left wing that he literally plays a CIA officer who does very cool shit in Venezuela. Um, I'm, we are very reassured by this. I mean, mm. honestly, I haven't, I've not watched Jack Ryan, but I saw a trailer for Jack Ryan, and I think the the we could face a nuclear armed Venezuela <laughs> is possibly the greatest like comedy of the twenty first century so far. <laughs> I mean, I feel I feel like that is the only stuff that's ever funny anymore. Like you know, stuff that's like intentionally made, you know, with uh, production value and that kind of stuff. It's never intention. It's never funny in the way it's meant to be, or it's meant to be play you know completely straight faced but it's always something completely insane like like you say like a nuclear armed venezuela or like jeremy corbyn suddenly owns all the gunboats and is gonna like enforce marxism on everyone it's shit like that that just i don't know it just turns into twitter shit posting essentially like fodder for that which is the purest form of comedy it fucking is at the moment really i mean it's which is you know a damning statement in and of itself <laughs> I mean, all those, um, all those yeah. um, right-wing things, all those stuff that got put printed in the papers about, like you know, the fan fiction about the first hundred days of Corbynism or whatever. That was all like pure comedy. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> but would you classify it as left-wing or right-wing? Um, I, I classify that as comedy for everyone. <laughs> Fun for the in whole family. Opinion, it, there's something for everyone. There's uh, some some people's favorite characters from politics have been written in there. You know, it gets to like it's like a fun crossover episode of a comic book or like, you know, where Superman has a dream or whatever. I don't know. I mean, I think you need to see all this <laughs> stuff more. It's just like just like it, it's it's like professional wrestling that everyone's, you know, would die if they got it from a chair too quickly um, where like it, it's it's just like the the oldest, the oldest, most boring people in the entire country um, sort of snarkily not snarkily tone policing like not even that but just sort of agreeing amongst themselves that certain things are are a little bit um 
you know, uh, let's say out of order. And it's it's because comedy in this country, in this country in particular, is bad for it, right? And I'm taking I'm talking as someone who has that experience of living in a couple of countries, of course, given that I am. Uh, I, I moved here from Canada. Get in, boys. Uh, Moving yeah. to this so country, of, insane. Yeah. Why would you do how, it? How dare I? Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, right, but that, that British comedy is sort of just so fucking condescending. Um, it, it, it is, and I think that's, like, partly to do with comedy being a weirdly, like, super middle-class thing here. Like, in a way that yeah. it just isn't, like, it's, it's you know, like, most most desirable professions are dominated by people from the middle classes, sure. But here, it has, it is is more so. I mean, I, mean, I think that there's a number of reasons for that. You know, I mean, it's the, almost um, exclusively people that went to, like, the, uh, were in the Cambridge Footlights, like, for yeah, a start. Ima- imagine, imagine getting into comedy. Yeah, after imagine. going to Oxford or Cambridge, that would be... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, so I, 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 oh no, but the mixer is breaking. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> don't worry, don't so, worry. Um, David can just edit you out from here on, Riley. For decades, the uh, the pipeline was you, you went to, you went to Cambridge, you were in the footlights, you got a job at the BBC, you got to like sort of scream at the system for a couple of years, then you made enough money to buy a house, then you went on to doing like sensible grown up projects and got replaced by someone else coming out of like the footlights. And that, that whole pipeline has kind of collapsed now where people don't need to watch the BBC to get their fix of like, you know, comedy that screams at the government because they just get it everywhere online for free all the time. And they can do it. Them- it's, it's been democratized, but back mm. in like, you know, the, the, the sixties through to the nineties or whatever, you had to sort of, watch tv to see like the young ones or um that was the week that was or whatever it was called you know what i mean i mean mm-hmm. i mean we, we, we used to have i mean i mean if you want to get real nostalgic here just we used to have brass eye <laughs> remember yeah. that One yeah. of, and that was and it was too good and yeah. it got taken off the air for being too awesome yeah i mean uh fucking that tv show like chris morris himself is like clearly clearly this this like the smartest comedian that's ever been on the BBC, uh, and like you say, too he's too funny, too too capable, and that's why he hasn't done anything for the BBC in think think oh Christ since uh, the TV show that should not be named that washed up on the shore one day uh, completely unprompted uh, the IT crowd. Like mm. and that is the last thing that I think he's done that's even been vaguely associated with the BBC, and like that was that was Channel Four. Oh, was it Channel Four? It wasn't even on B- on the BBC yeah, then. Fuck's sake, mate! Like you know what I mean? You turn up less prepared than me. That's an achievement. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my reputation of having encyclopedic knowledge of the IT crowd has been completely ruined. And to be fair, Chris Morris was on um, episodes of the uh, oh, fucking hell, Stuart Lee's Comedy Vehicle. So that'd be the last oh, thing yeah. he did for the BBC. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, he was, wasn't he? Uh, which is like the the very very rare shows that uh, have that a, 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 like an actual edge, rather than the you know like with uh, like I mean, spitting image is the thing that I'm really thinking about when we said we were going to talk about comedy because it was a TV show that kind of started out as you know actually having sort of sharp elbows towards the establishment, but as it went on, it seems to have uh, what well, seemed to just become more and more uh, accepted into the establishment to the point that you know it's going to be uh, 
I have a new season of it made, and uh, they was it not? Hmm? Was it not Chris Evans, the 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 radio DJ cunt, not the fucking actual actor? Um, that like. Hmm. <laughs> Fuck's sake! Ah, <laughs> uh, did he not phone up constantly asking when were they going to make a puppet of him? Because he really wanted to be on it. Oh, yeah, I mean, like, and just Michael Gove being like saying that he's proud that they've made a puppet of him. That, I mean, did Chris uh, Evans yeah. do some like quick calculations and figure out? A- oh, fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> fuck's sake! Oh, you're just getting this all out of the way now, so that I can cut it and we can just keep <laughs> going with the episodes. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fuck it, hell. For real though. A few moments later. Can't imagine what anyone else would come to this country. But, um... <laughs> oh, I mean, I, 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 I came here because of. Uh... <laughs> no, I, 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 I came because of university, not the, not the horrible, not the, not the, you know, prevalence of re- really gross president prevalence of um just, just the world, some of the world's just grossest and oldest people doing some of the world's worst shit. Yeah, well, uh, we don't have a... Quite a something. <laughs> I mean, we we do export enormous amounts of misery, so we've got that going for us as well. Mm. Yeah, th- thank goodness. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think, like, the, the thing is, right, like, it's easy to think of the whole sort of quest... Because, number one, the quest of the right to, like, be angry that comedy isn't nicer to them... It's not new and it's not unique to hear, right? Like Fox in the early 2000s tried to make a right-wing daily show called the Half Hour News Hour. Yes. Oh, yes, yeah, we, we, we watched, some, we watched of this. some of this in yeah. preparation and oh my god. It... <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, oh, it's great. I, I, it's it's I didn't watch they, it. I refused. They absolutely <laughs> well, what what's the thing goes right and the thing is like the daily show is just, you know, it's liberal nonsense. Uh because the daily show's like theory of political power is basically sort of derived from the West Wing. It is that you you can point out something wrong or hypocritical or whatever, and if you point that out to enough people, then all of and because if you're such an idealist that you think that sort of power flows from collective consensus about you know answers to certain questions, um, then and you can just like point out that I don't know fucking who would it have been at the time like. You know that um, if you can point out, you know that uh, you know George Bush, you know lied about something, whatever, then somehow that will cause some kind of transformation. That that will do something. That that will be that 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 is that that, that is is somehow you know doing politics. Yeah, and, that's the um, and, it's the everyone who stood up and clapped's name was Albert Einstein theory of political change. Uh, yeah, and so and so if you think about like and, and like again, it's like it's also a comedy show. It's like not necessarily, it's 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 comedy shows and things that are supposed to drive political change are are different. But also, it's a political comedy show, and it's one that you know at at, at the end of the day was revealed to have had no project because if you remember John Stewart rising up like unshaven and wearing a T-shirt from behind, I remember this very well. John Stewart rising up from when. A, a without wearing a t-shirt and like a clip-on tie from behind Stephen Colbert's oh desk to be like, I have a message for you, fuckface McClown stick. I'm back. And it's like, <laughs> so wait, hold on. All you can, because you have no project, 
all you have is like righteous indignation, but that derives from the sort of basis that you're right and that you're smart and right about something. As if that's the liberal theory of TV comedy, basically. Um, well, I mean, that's, that's half of it. The other half is the Parks and Rec theory, <laughs> which is that we can't show people bad stuff. I mean, people have to see good stuff. One of the one of the first lines in uh, like the first season of that show is, uh, "You're gonna have to be nice to me if you want me to care about poor people." And who oh boy, that sounds like yeah. a <laughs> sounds like it could summarize something or other. Yeah, <laughs> but but right, but if you think about the two genres of TV comedy, there's the pre-Trump one, which is TV liberal comedy. Pre-Trump one, righteous indignation, and I mean that's sort of replicated in How I Got News for You, which is largely sort of chuckly chuckling agreement with chuckling mutual agreement um at things that are going on that are outside the realm of political appropriateness you know so it's uh there's ah they're breaking international law okay other than just they shouldn't do that like do you have any kind of vision or are you just there to point to sort of you know um to scold i mean and that's that the, the difference is right i think the difference between chris someone like chris morris and then a show like Have I Got News for You is that, I mean, and you, there's some excellent, really, really good articles um, by Natalie Ola uh, about this, uh, uh, former guest of TF, Natalie Ola, uh, really good article about what it means to be a court comedian versus a court jester versus an actual satirist. And it's a part of it is that, you know, it's Chris, Chris Morris is... He is, he's not sort of, he, he is, I think he's someone who doesn't jealously guard the boundaries of appropriateness as The Daily Show and Have I Got News For You does. I think he tries to prod, actually prod at them, which caused his, which caused the, the best show, some of the best shows and movies in Britain, like Four Lions and Brass Eye and whatever, to be widely protested and hated and in the case of Brass Eye, cancelled. Um, and... Yeah, in the case of Four Lions, they had to film it in secret because people were getting too mad at them. Yeah. Um, and and just like to and to remember like that 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 is, and I'm not saying necessarily even that Chris Morris is a left wing comedian. I think he's just a genuinely thorough satirist. Mm. Um, and 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 then so and so liberal comedy very much is all about the rules and mm. protecting the rules and making fun of I those think, yeah. who, who step outside the rules, whether that's in its daily show form of saying, oh, George, George Bush lied, or and, and then being confronted with Trump and having nothing but like FBPE-style compound swearing. Like, what the, <laughs> what the shit? How pathetic is that? I think, I think that's... I mean, I think that partly plays into why a TV show like, uh, you know, your conservative daily show, the half-hour news hour, you just philosophically can't work because they like you know the right has sort of realized that they can kind of do whatever they want really and like uh, because you know liberal lib- the uh, liberal idea to attack uh, the shit that the right does is you know this uh, proceduralist bullshit that does nothing so you don't you don't need to try and mimic their you know how dare you sir TV shows because there's no point there's no they don't they they don't have to defend themselves in that way it's just not a requirement of them mm. if that makes sense oh well, yeah I think well I think it's that because the essence of the f- essence of of right wing comedy is basically you need to be nicer to me in the things I think are cool. And the essence of liberal comedy is you need to be more respectful of institutions. 
Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, that means right-wing comedy is quite frequently more funny if unintentionally. Like, that's why they can't get to the punchlines of the jokes. They always just, like, get too mad. Yeah, I mean, because, like, uh, the... Because, it, because in, in the setup of the joke, they have to imagine even a theoretical person who isn't being as respectful of the troops as they could be. And then, you know, <laughs> the, because their whole thing is just imagining someone, imagining, you know, I don't know, like like uh, Colin Kaepernick being like, uh, being like, oh, Nike just gave me a million dollars to say America's racist. And, um, that, and just imagining that, and then getting so furious about it, they take a golf club to a Keurig mach- coffee machine. You know, like, <laughs> how do you keep the presence of mind to get from setup to punchline when every day you're sort of thrumming at an anger level of about 7 out of 10 because of some b- dumb bullshit you made up? And comedy is mostly making up dumb bullshit. Yeah. The best comedy is. Right-wing stand-up comedians are a thing that, are, like, it's... In, it's like just a concept that's insane to me because in order to do comedy, generally you need to be, you know, you need to be jabbing at something. And right wing comedy generally means you have to jab down, you know, your um, identify as an attack helicopter joke, which is uh, some, the one joke. Yeah, yeah. which uh, but for an hour and a half on Netflix, why not? Um, mm. And people are <laughs> mad at me on Twitter, which is somehow uh, something that you can get a TV series made about. And it's fascinating that this is like the only avenue that that can for some reason can be expressed in is these like why why won't you appreciate me for being a conservative i've gone to all these institutions that i should have gone to and i've got i've gone through the bbc i've done this and i've done that but you don't love me because i'm actually a very horrible person it's like well people don't have to like you buddy i mean <laughs> like we we do actually yeah uh, not yet <laughs> well I think, yeah. um, I think that there's a lot a lot of common like the the, the core of liberal comedy and right wing comedy is like it has a lot of commonality because like if you consider that like good comedy prompts you to laugh at things you you ha- like you sort of discover things are funny you know what i mean like someone mm-hmm makes you look at something in a way you hadn't looked at it before and that prompts For example, laughter. suicide bombers. Yeah. Yeah. Right, For example, right silly and, suicide bombers. Right wing and liberal comedy is basically just laughing at stuff that you already think is funny. It's just, you know, it's just isn't it great to see someone else stand up and say, let's all laugh at this. Whether yeah. that's like, you know, um calling someone a spunk trumpet or just the concept of like minorities in general that you find is like hilarious. <laughs> but they're not actually they're not actually prompting you to think or or like you know making any like sort of creating anything comedy wise they're just they're the person who's stand who has a platform to stand up and go let's all laugh at like this and then everyone like rolls along hysterically and it's it's why whenever you see people like right wing people def- like on twitter defend oh like oh you can't make you make jokes anymore because like you know someone's dropped like the n word or something we can't even make jokes. It's like, where was the joke? And they just get really mad because there wasn't a joke. It was literally It was. Just... It was the word. Yeah. It's just... Don't you see? It was the word. In the beginning of the Bible, what do you think that is? <laughs> it's the same thing. Uh, where... It's on the playground. It's, it's on the playground and someone swears and it's the funniest fucking shit when you're six years old because they did the thing they're not supposed to do. Yeah. It's like that whole thing where it's like, oh, you can't say, you can't even like say that anymore. You know, like South Park will, will do some like really shit like joke about like some minority oppressed group, 
and everyone would go, e, you can't say that anymore. And it's like, yeah, you, you can, because they, they just fucking did. Do you know what I yeah. mean? But like, well, it, I, it's, I, it's, it's you a You always have racket. to see. You have to see, like, you can't say that anymore. There's a second part to that sentence that they never say, which is, you can't say that anymore and have literally everyone around you who you can care to listen to be really stoked on it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's this thing of, like, everyone should be legislated to be my friend, right? Mm. Well, it's ultimately right. Like, if you want to, if, if you want to look at this in terms of like what the actual like policy change of the BBC is around balance in comedy or whatever, we're gonna find more right wing comedy. By the way, I just looked up the half hour news hour. You know what the um, Joel Surnow, the producer, the his other major producing credit was twenty four. Oh my god! Oh, great. The, t- the TV show that uh, was cited as a uh, reason to use torture, but I believe it was the Supreme Court. Yeah, excellent. <laughs> Mission yeah, that, accomplished. Yeah, comedy. Yeah, and if we didn't have if we didn't have right wing comedy show the Supreme Court, how many terrorist bombings would have taken place? Because we didn't have to be weren't able to make real life Jack Bauer. I mean, that's um, a, that's an example of the kind of joke you, you just the left just pillories you for if you yeah. you know what I mean. You go on Twitter and you like with all sincerity tweet that like why why would you not torture someone? What if a terrorist like sellotaped your baby to a bomb and you mm-hmm. had to torture him to find out where the like the scissors were? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, that's right. People people just dogpiled the shit out of that like tragically bald idiot. Can't remember his yeah, fucking exactly. name. <laughs> um, but like, uh, but anyway, um, the other thing was right. Like that. The, when you look at this in terms of what's changing at the BBC, which is the ah comedy's too woke. Nish Kumar said that the British Empire was no good, or or whatever. Um, which is like com- which is you know comedy should cuddle me and make me feel young and comedy should call me in when it's time for dinner and comedy is when the bin man wears his proper bin man hat and the postman wore his postman trousers and and it's cuz all like because really like this is just for old people in Tom Harwood like that's it <laughs> yeah and, i think i think that's really and what the point old, of it and and mm. what old people in Tom Harwood want is they want to live in a nice drawing with a vicar on a bike and you can't live in a nice drawing with a vicar on a bike while Nish Kumar is being rude about the British Empire. Unfortunately, in the nice drawing with the vicar on the bike, you're going to be go with your family to uh, go to the vaudeville where you're going to see like, you know, like, like, a, like a minstrel show or whatever. And like, really, I, I think it's it has to be understood that the quest to try to de-wokeify comedy is really less of an overt... I mean, it's a, it is in one sense, it's a political project, but in the other sense, I think it really has to be understood as the British right trying to do a version of Goodbye Lenin for half the British population. Um, I'm just, I'm just, hey, we're going to make it like it used to be. Things are going to go back to the way they were when you were young, and you're just going to get to live in that drawing again. And there aren't going to be any, and no, no pesky forces are going to come and que- and sort of, you know, try to push at the boundaries of the drawing or say the drawing's not cool or say that they don't love the drawing and they like to be in the drawing as well or draw anyone in the drawing who doesn't look exactly like you. Yeah, yeah pretty much. Yeah, <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just I it's I think it has to be seen like because like nost- also like public nostalgia, especially public nostalgia as a matter of public policy, is always like uh, you know uh, basically a f- it's a, it is it is a fascist desire, right? The mm, the yeah. desi- the, dis- the the idea that we have progressed beyond what is natural and good, and that p- and that the force of politics must be applied to turning back the clock. 
essentially. Like, that is a fundamentally fascist desire. And, you know, the other thing is, right, is a, a, a resurgent and fundamentally revolutionary right is not going to stop until... It is not going to stop feeling under attack until it is able to recapture not just all the levers of political power, but all the levers of cultural power, mm. all the levers of public opinion, because fundamentally it is, it is, it is, it is, it is a, I mean, it, well, it's it is, a literal it is a political project, yeah. isn't it really? Because yeah. they're trying to, because some of the, uh, you know, some of the TV shows we've discussed so far, like they were, you know, big in the seventies, eighties, nineties, whatever. And, they, some of them, Brass Eye, you know, being the the strongest contender here, going back to a time when that was on TV, as though that was a better time, which, I mean, arguably, but for comedy, maybe a little bit better, because you actually had these, like, um, you know, incisive actual TV shows on TV, um, would drive them fucking crazy all over again. Like, could you imagine if there was, like, you know, Brass Eye 2020, if uh, Chris Morris decided to come out of retirement and... Fucking wish. Yeah, I mean, exactly. Could you imagine? It would be unthinkable for that kind of television to be made today. And, I mean, that's there's probably, like, I mean, there's almost definitely, like, financial reasons behind that, because realistically, are young people, you know, well, by which I mean people under the age of 30 fucking five, watching comedy on TV anymore, really? I mean, I personally can't haven't watched like live TV uh, in any meaningful sense in about probably about 10 years. Like, Oh yeah, just, that's, it's, that's right. It's just an Avenue that is so completely, I mean, it's dying as a, um, you know, as a market for, for mainstream television. So the, even if the comedy was made, the people that should be watching it wouldn't be, or maybe that's a, you know, that's a vicious cycle. No one watches it cause it's not on there and it's not on there cause no one watches it. And we're just going to get a spiral into ever more right-wing Jeff Norcott yeah, everywhere. Miss, Mrs. The Brown's Boys. Works. Mrs. Brown's Boys, the 1984 telescreen, where you always have to watch Mrs. <laughs> Brown's Boys. You can turn the volume down for half an hour a day, but generally you will be watching Mrs. Brown's Boys. Yeah, M- Mrs. Brown's Boys yelling feck at me over a fucking uh, yeah. tannoy. I, I, awesome. It's great. Yeah. Um, I, that's, that's, it's, that's the thing that's so cool about, like, about living just through this endless culture war is that nothing is it, fewer and fewer things can just be like you know it's it's this is why I I like YouTube videos ultimately this is why I like Jackass yes I, I love Jackass yes. because it's there's not for anything it's just you know um, We're gonna Johnny Knoxville building a giant fiberglass hand which he then uses to knock over Bam Margera while he's carrying some soup you know or I thought it wasn't Bam I think it was it was a bunch Rob, of them, it was one of them it was a bunch of them yeah. I, no, there was several. Oh, the, Bam, the Bam was guy, the yeah. Bam was the flower. Uh, anyway, but regardless, right? That's that just ha- that hasn't been made at anybody except arguably Bam Margera. But, <laughs> like the 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 idea that all of this stuff has to be subsumed into a giant culture war is so fucking boring. I hate it so much. Make more TV for Bam Margera. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, okay, I would watch Viva La Bam if it were back on right now. 
Um, I because like there was an episode of uh, Totally Latered about him where like he got really he got to be really really fat from drinking and then couldn't skateboard anymore, <laughs> and so now he's like he forgot how to skateboard, so he's still like kind of a rich guy. Um, and he's like making this movie about Ryan Dunn that he's been making for like ten years, and his dad's like it, it, he's like not pranking his parents anymore. Like oh, I damn. really would I I'll ha- but that's the thing, I would like to watch this version of Bam Margera like. Be like, okay, I have to figure out how to prank my parents again. Um, <laughs> I, th- I, I think that would be a lot of fun. Um, and no, it's, instead, and, and instead, you know, it's it's it seems like most comedy that's being made now, uh, like uh, again with the except uh, again with the exception of Connor O'Malley, who's also incredible. Um, it, a lot of the stuff that's on TV, and especially a lot of the stuff that's on the BBC does seem to like first have to be like, like tick a little box to say what side of the culture war it's on yeah 100%. and that's just so fucking tedious i mean could you i mean like um i know that uh milo of uh, trash future wrote um yeah you really should add him on yeah. this episode what the fuck am i doing <laughs> yeah, on here well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah fuck you milo why didn't you come on even though we didn't ask you anyway um yeah so milo wrote um i know he wrote some of um one of nish kumar's sketches on uh, quibi right yeah, he wrote Nurse Sketch with Caroline Calloway. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, could you, could... but you love blood. <laughs> oh, so, could... I'm sorry, that's a that's a bonus episode yeah. of, of TF. I'm sorry for referencing it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure all four people that aren't on this podcast that get that joke were laughing very hard right now. Um, but yeah, could you imagine if they any of them let Milo near like a BBC writer's room? Could you imagine? <laughs> Probably a lot more South African mercenaries working their way into scripts. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's just, I mean, it's just unthinkable. Realistically, yeah. it's just, it is impossible. Like, it's unthink. Yeah, <laughs> but could you say why it's unthinkable? Just so it doesn't imply that he's not a very good writer. <laughs> <laughs> because, I mean, uh, I mean, just for just for just for a taster of what the kind of uh, stuff Milo is able to write for, uh, like. TV air quotes is uh, like poking fun at um, American imperialism in South America, like in a like an eight minute sketch. Like you just do you do you really get that? I mean, the only possible TV show I could think that would even consider coming up on would be Have I Got News for You, and even then it would be yeah, and it, it, it would it would be that you know um, it would be something like uh, Hang on, hang on, hang on. I'm putting I'm I'm sitting down. I'm closing my eyes. I am stepping into Paul Merton. I'm being John Malkoviching into Paul Merton. Um, okay, hold on, hold on. Being Paul Malkovich. Yeah, that's exactly it. Okay, okay. You I know what? We I can't got. see it if you do the face. Yeah. <laughs> no shit. Uh, okay, it's so that the um the uh, uh uh oh yeah. Here we go. Um. Uh. Shit. No, I had one. No. Uh. uh it's uh, uh, Evo Evo Morales. Uh. Break breaking. Um. Breaking. Ava Morales uh, forced to forced to stand down after he claims to have gotten 101 percent in most recent Bolivian elections. He may consider firing Diane Abbott, his campaign manager, Paul Merton face. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I'm gonna, there we go. I'm it, it, took me a sec, it took me a sec, but I got I I I chant <laughs> I, I finessed it. I channeled it through, and I I got a Paul Merton is in it. You know what? That, that in fucking indistinguishable. Frankly, that is. <laughs> I mean, like the thing—the thing that really that um, really stands out for me about "Have I Got News for You" is there was, 
after the news think, they have for you. Well, yeah, I mean the news, which is all bad. But um, I, I, I fucking love the news. I love I like I love watching the news, and then I'm like, damn, I wish I could watch like a news post show where they talk a little more about like what happened on the news, what happened to their favorite characters, and like it's just really good for fans of the news, <laughs> like the Talking Dead, but for the news. Well, on the one bit, the one bit that comes to mind is when they were talking about one of their least favorite characters, which was uh, one Jeremiah Corbynajad. Oh wait! Oh no, yes, yeah. of course. So John, yeah. so John Richardson, like, yeah, yeah, uh, the one and only. Um, yeah, so John Richardson gets on his fucking little soapbox about how uh, Jeremy Corbyn's let down all of the all of the uh, working class people in the country by fucking up an election. It's like, bitch, what the fuck did you do? Right? Like you have he went basically to a private school, I think, didn't he? Not yeah, he I did. mean, right? That was I his mean, part. I mean, he's fucking—he's on the fucking have I got news for you. He, he basically—if he didn't—if he didn't go to one, then he was born with a vestigial one, right? John so, John Richardson <laughs> is just like Britain's most twee cunt, quite frankly. Yeah, but like, I mean, this is just uh, you know emblematic of the kind of shit, right? Because you've got like these people who would, you know, prior to 2015 have plastered themselves in the accolades of being a progressive left winger, but once that. I mean, as ever with anyone who's actually actually a liberal, as soon as you know Robert hits the road, it's like, oh no, it's not. It's the wrong guy. It's unacceptable. And then, you know, yeah, but um, it's just it's it's just fucking laziness, though, isn't it? Because like for for decades, you've been able to get away with doing like with positioning yourself as a sort of comedian speaking truth to power by just sort of turning up and going, they're all politicians. They're all as bad as each other. And, like, you know, people just, like, throw flowers onto the stage and give you an ovation and everything. And then once you finally got a politician where, like, that was no longer true, do you know what I mean? Like, it just put, it, it revealed the lie because all these, like, fucking idiots just still stood up and went, mm. politicians just as all as bad as each other, am I right? And and got, like, booed to fucking back. <laughs> I think I mean, the only yeah. person... That's, the, that's why they're all, that's why they've all been such complete cunts, because their one core understanding of politics was completely destroyed by Jeremy Corbyn. Yeah, yeah. the only oh, person... So it's, so it's another group of comedians think, that just has one joke. Yeah, the only person yeah. I think who read the writing on the wall successfully was possibly Charlie Brugger, because he just more or less, like, went completely silent throughout the Corbyn. He did one... Yeah, like where he did some jokes about Corbyn with like not liking Jews, and he got like fucking dragged on social media, and then he just went back like slinked back into the darkness in a huff. I mean, that's yeah. I mean that the whole thing, you know, like uh, we're not I'm not gonna we're not gonna fucking relitigate the anti-Semitism and stuff, but basically that was that was the lightning rod that they used because it therefore meant that whatever whatever Corbyn's politics was, oh, he's just as bad as the Tories, aren't they all the mm. same? And then. John Richardson can do his fucking little soapbox. Oh, he's let the working class down. Typical. The stuff, like, you the know. stuff with like um, with Bruker and Frankie Boyle doing bits on their like shows. You know, where they they've basically made a career out of being like the person who's angry at the state of the world. Mm. And then when push comes to shove, they just sort of like do shit jokes about oh Jeremy Corbyn doesn't hate all the Jews, and it's like yeah. it's it's basically it's it's. Partly, I mean, like, the thing is, to get, like, broadcast on the BBC, you'd have to do that for balance, I guess. They would, you know what I mean? They'd, but also, mm. there's a part of it where it's just, it, it's like, it appeals to that, like, British playground sense of humour, where it's like, <laughs> I get to do jokes about gassing the Jews. <laughs> do you know what I mean? That, like, just, mm. like, Britain just loves it, and, and it, it's given into your worst instincts, but, be, like, as soon as there was an excuse to do that, then suddenly it's like, you've, you've, you've got 
you can suddenly talk about Jeremy Corbyn because you've got grounds to like diss him as just as bad as everyone else. But um, I mean, like Frank, uh, not Frankie Boyle, Charlie Brooker. Even before, like, I think there, there were signs Charlie Brooker was just as melty as everyone else even before Corbyn became leader because I can remember one of the wipes where he did a, a whole sort of like uh, bit to camera about how he, he missed the days where everything was a bit meh. Oh, and everyone, fuck, yeah, was, everyone was just too angry now and it was better when everyone was just couldn't be bothered with stuff and it's like i mean i like if if you i can completely understand like if you know you you're a comedian you, your whole brand is angry young man you hate the state of the world but when you get to the point where like you know you've paid off your mortgage and you're comfortable now have the decency to fucking just like step down let someone <laughs> else have a crack yeah I, I think this is the this is the crux of it it's the the whole like oh, it's left wing comedy that's the problem is it's a cover doing the whole left wing right wing bit because it's fuck all to do with whether or not it's left or right wing it's to do with whether or not it's pro or anti establishment yeah and there's like a level of acceptable criticism in which liberal po- um, liberal comedy all fits in quite neatly in the pro establishment bit where it sounds like it's anti establishment but it's done in that nice cozy way that you'll never actually seriously question it because it's just a part of the background noise. Well, I think I, mean, um, yeah. I think if I got news for you, like uh, probably one of the the leading examples of like breaking with that tradition that I mentioned, like at the start, where the whole thing was you you, you got a you came out the footlights, you got a job at the BBC, you did anti-establishment stuff for a few years, you got comfortable, you stepped down, and someone else took over. And like, if I got news for you, um, Paul Merton and Ian Hislop been doing that like forever. Do you know what I mean? And mm. at some point, they should have just well, if they down stop, and let if they stop, they'll die. I can. That's the only yeah. sort of rationale oh, that we, I've got. We can only we can only hope. <laughs> but um, there, I, I like it's um, it's a it's 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 something also where it's like you you all I think you have to be careful as well. Like you know, in, in especially in criticisms of comedy, like understand like trying to make sure that you know. I mean, it's I mean, it's Ian Ian uh, Ian Hislop and Paul Merton like. They've got their class interests and they are defending, mm. them, you know. And so, yeah. and if you, I think if you, if I think it's it's very easy to sort of go almost go into the territory of the right and be like, ah, you you suck because you're no. It's like they're defending their class interests. It's just it's not particularly very funny because they're sort of their experience is so removed from from everyone else, and um, you know, and and equally like playing defense against a. Uh, on behalf of like a bunch of social institutions that have just like completely collapsed in terms of their legitimacy you know i mean all all of that makes for very very strange watching but like you know god love them they're defending their class interests it's just doing that makes you sort of very blind to a lot of if you want to do satire it makes you very blind to a lot of potential objects because you're so concerned with this idea of protecting a sh- protecting the status quo of a rapidly shrinking island of acceptability where you are particularly influential. So I think this has to be seen, I, I think, really more as a... Um, this can be seen in so many different ways, right? It can be seen as the BBC understanding, like, who the terrestrial uh, TV audience is and just changing with the market. I think that's a big part of it. Mm. But also I think it has to be understood as like the fact that these guys, your Paul Mertens and so on, 
they are they what from a materialist point of view what are they doing they are defending their class interests uh from an ideological point of view they're defending especially institutions whether those institutions are sort of something like the eu or that's like a body with a building you can look at or institutions like you know the idea of meritocracy or whatever sorry i've just had an extremely cursed thought which would be pro pro eu comedy and Mm -hmm. i feel like i've just given myself that's that's madalena k that's eu supergirl Um, yeah but but Oh, I, that's, I, I can never tell if that's ironic or not. Uh, I mean, if it, if it if it is, that is the best left wing comedy out there. That yeah. Um, <laughs> but about you know, but re- but regardless, right? Like, if you want to think of you know pro EU comedy, then it's just you know um it, it, then it's just uh, uh have I got news for you suggesting that you know uh Diane Abbott was in charge of um counting up the electoral fines that Darren Grimes she's accidentally paid him 20 pounds or whatever there there's pro EU comedy right there for you uh it's just it is just defending institutions and i think like the EU or like meritocracy institutions broadly conceived that have just had the bottom fall out of them in terms of legitimacy and so you know with no more so- kind of with with very with a very small popular basis for like what you might call establishment liberalism when capital has thrown itself behind like a revolutionary right well of course all of those things are going to be sort of sloughed off because well they're no longer useful they are they are the product of um they are the product of capital with outmoded needs you know they are they they, they are they are no longer they're surplus to requirements it's the same thing why you no longer why the center-right and the center-left are getting together. It's because they didn't know it, but they used to just all be sort of establishment capital, whatever. The strategy has changed. The needs have changed. So they're gone. Boom. <laughs> done. And so, you know, it's, it, it's, it's, it's less like that they're not nice and less like that they're mean to our guy. It's more, I think, for me, that they do not understand that they have been made obsolete. Yeah, I think... I think- the the impending obsolescence of I mean legacy media as a whole I mean fucking terrestrial TV is just the the viewership of that is just an increasingly old bracket of people right it's yeah I mean not really I don't feel like I've got much to add to that because it's just so clear that left wing comedy I mean left wing comedy such as it is. Uh, is mainly uh, from what I can, from what I've experienced, really, is just on the absolute outskirts of what is uh, like a mainstream culture, like you know, fucking Twitter, podcasts, uh, YouTube videos. That is where like actual left wing comedy thrives. Because I mean, yeah, there's there's a load of fascists on all of those on all of those mediums as well, but. Hey, at least at least it's balanced out by the left wing stuff, or is that just like a new BBC but more extreme? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I think person, I, 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 I think you know what it, what it, what is left wing comedy? What makes it, what makes it necessary? I don't, I, I, I'm not going to even say that I, I fully know. Maybe, maybe there are new formats out there that can be explored. I'm not, I'm not entirely sure. Um, uh, maybe it's when just maybe it's just the the um the 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 direction that satire is aimed at maybe it's just jackass uh it's one of these things where i always know what's not that but i never i never really can know what is that um, what is oh. that yeah <laughs> the question yeah. we're asking today <laughs> left wing comedy is simply just 
the Trevor Bastard Extended Universe and podcasts. <laughs> no, it's Jackass. It's just Jackass. And, and Jackass. And it's, Jackass. Just, it's the to- it's the Toro Totter. It's 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 Steve it's Steve-O getting his butt poked by a by a bull while playing a tuba. Left it's w- that kind of fun stuff. Left wing comedy is going around <laughs> going around yelling Jack Straw is a Jew through a megaphone as a parliamentary candidate for the Lib Dems. <laughs> um, oh, oh, so she was actually she was actually satirizing the yeah. God, I remember her. Jesus, yeah, that's that didn't age well. Um, yeah, <laughs> unless unless you that was like a con, unless again that was like a, some kind of a an absurdist Connor O'Malley bit, which I don't think it was. I think she might have just been very anti-Semitic. Yeah, I mean, I mean, that's a hundred percent what it was. But you just look at that mm. shit, and you know, I am left wing, and I found it absolutely hysterically funny. <laughs> Like <laughs> elections, elections in the nineties were fucking wild. Like, just brain spiders. Just when when you didn't have an internet to let your brain spiders out on, it all just came out on election night. <laughs> but anyway, the f- the future of left wing comedy is Jonathan Pedophile Information Exchange just doing like really sort of like stupid rants to camera. <laughs> Easy target shot from point blank. That's that's the future of left wing comedy. That's right. I mean, well, what, what else are you going to get out of the Revolutionary Communist Party? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, do you know, I remember when Jonathan Pye first came, like, first became a, a phenomenon, and it's kind of fascinating, really, and how you know, like that, and it was, I mean, it was like you know, trying to ape like anti-establishment, like um, yeah, that's that's his whole gimmick. Though he comes out and he does like he, do, he does a rant about the most like obvious, like oh, the, the government like let all these people burn to death in Grenfell. Whoa, like and share if you agree that that's terrible. And everyone just like, well, yeah, that's right, right on, Jonathan. And then his next video is about how they shouldn't, they should just let people be as racist as they want because like you know, free speech. And then he'll go, he'll, he'll do that for a bit, and then he'll go back and he'll, he'll do another, like, completely unmissable, like, target that everyone agrees with, just to get everyone back on board. And then, like, it's about how, you know, well, actually, we shouldn't let minorities have rights. You know, that's actually just a meta. He's just really good at the game. Yeah. Uh, he's, he's, it's like, it's like, no, it's like, it's like in Fortnite, like, if you want to do well, you have to start box fighting. Like, it's all about, like, creating structures and then um, doing really quick edits. Uh, so that you can like you know create windows to shoot through and then immediately board them back up again. So it's like you know I think Jonathan Pye actually is just he's comedy box fighting. That's what that is. Well, he did he did one video um, about homeless people, and it was it was shot in a completely different way to his usual shtick. It had like a bunch of it was cut between rather than just being like a sort of supposed outtake shot in like one take like all of his other stuff. It was cut between two different perspectives of him, and and I I like absolutely convinced that that was them attempting to salvage a video he had made because he was talking about you know like homeless people and how people will say to you oh they should get a fucking job and all this and doing this sort of rant of what people will say about the homeless and you'll never convince me they didn't the the original draft of that video wasn't just him doing that unironically to camera and they realized it was going to, it was going to play like shit and they'd better cut it in and, and like reverse the, the polarity of the video. I mean, that would be a very, very surprising thing that they actually realized that something might actually play poorly because they've got absolutely no qualms about, uh, cause the same guy writes, uh, Jonathan Pies does the fucking what Titanium McGrath, or whatever the fucking name is. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that's good. No, that's, you got to admit that's good comedy. Yeah, oh, 
I mean, I mean, uh, I mean, right, like right wing comedy like that is just it just com- like the best comedy like understands its subject right, and there's just literally zero understanding of what is actual progressive ideology at all, just none whatsoever. Like it's, I, I suppose mean, that, it's, that it's funny bit, in a very meta way, but like not that whole bit is incredible because it's like he, he did that he did that joke on there about Santa. What was it? Um, some there was a black Santa, and it was like, oh, how dare they say Santa's black just because he breaks into houses? And like someone, someone called him a racist, and he threatened to sue them. Um, yeah, yeah, like you know, some, you're allowed, you're allowed to do that here. Yeah, some some girl said he was racist. He threatened to sue them, and then literally everyone else on left Twitter also called him a racist, and he just blocked them all. Hmm. Just <laughs> absolutely bottled it. It was like, how dare you call me a racist? Oh shit! Okay, that that's backfired slightly. I'll just uh, mm. I'll just hide. Uh, I mean, I've said I've British said defamation it. law really is the biggest obstacle to comedy in Britain. Yeah, so we've we've covered like the the sort of pipeline of angry young men. We've covered what a cunt Jonathan Pye is. Um, the the how right wing comedy works. What else? What else do we need? <laughs> Right I mean, just just what what are the right. best sketches of Jackass that people can watch? <laughs> uh, the the uh, the one that I always can ne- I'll never forget the um the was it the shit storm supreme or whatever the fuck it is? Oh, where- uh, poo cocktail supreme. Poo cocktail supreme. That's it. Yeah. I don't even think that's the grossest one. I think the grossest one is when Steve-O has to drink a cup of um, Preston Lacey's sweat. Oh, oh, the one where <laughs> so like my, my, like my girlfriend recently watched all of the all of the Jackass movies. So these are very recently etched into my brain. Um, so uh, the one is it where one of the, is it one of the movies where they do the bit where they've got the loud hailer on the golf course? That's the first one. That's that's a classic. Yeah. <laughs> Just like oh, I'm sorry, I hit the wrong button. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I, I think my my personal favorites are always the ones that are like really really elaborate, uh, where they just they have this this a whole bunch of machinery set up to do something completely stupid. Like I think one of the best ones is where they're in a hotel and they've stuck a note from a like a fan like a like a like a fan who wants to fuck them on the wall and they're like yo read this read this there's a girl they saw there's girls came into the hotel they want to fuck us and then there's just a boxing glove that comes through the wall i'm like that's perfect <laughs> that is yeah. gold it's like it's between that and connor o'malley burying himself to fix the economy like it's it is that that level of just um, i like the um i, I think I like pure the... joy you know what it is it is the pure joy of making art well and not having to make it mean anything else other than just making art well. I mean, it's, it feels I to like me the, like um, yeah. the department store boxing. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. Um, I, I mean, I feel like Riley, what you're saying there is, I mean, part of uh, is one of those really rare things where you don't uh, in uh, in you know late capitalism, you don't get to enjoy doing nothing. Like that yeah, omnipresent exactly. pressure that you should be doing something, and if you're not, you're wasting your time and wasting your life. And just the escapism that is provided by getting punched by a very, very large boxing glove is <laughs> I'm, just I'm laughing, thinking about it. Yeah, right. It's just <laughs> yeah, I think... a momentary reprieve from the oppressiveness of the society that we live in. You know, we're end... never, we are never going to make a movie like Grandma's Boy again for a while, at least. And I think that's too bad. I think on the subject of British comedy, I think it's all been downhill since like the early eighties. That Young Ones episode with the atomic bomb where it lands in the kitchen. 
is like <laughs> British comedy, and it's it's all the way it's downhill all the way from there until like this decade when they invent Taskmaster and it just shoots back up again. <laughs> That's right. Um, I think one of my favorite examples of um, of like the whole thing where a sort of like anarchic comedian becomes like very establishment is as David Frost. If you remember David Frost from the, the famous... Yeah, he interviewed Nixon. Nixon. Yeah, with Nixon. Oh, 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 I didn't know you were talking about the same guy. I was trying to do a bit. No, yeah, it's the same oh, guy. shit, well, <laughs> fuck me then. <laughs> he, was, he was the presenter of That Was The Week That Was in the early 60s. <laughs> and um, they would just, they would just like, you know, tear down the establishment as much as they could. But there was a great bit he did where the, the first series of that, they used to do, they did it live, and the first series was the last thing on before close down. So they could run long if they wanted and no one at the BBC gave a shit because they were just turning the channel off when they finished. But the second series, there was some American spy like series on after them. So they had to finish on time. Otherwise they were like fucking up like Danger Man or whatever the fuck it was. And so they got annoyed at not being allowed to, to run late. So David Frost started uh, spoiling the episode that was going to be on after them. <laughs> In his opening, like, uh, introduction to the show, so that people would stop watching it and the ratings would go down and the BBC would cancel it so that they could run along, which is like one of the greatest bits I've ever heard of anyone doing on British television, as far as I'm concerned. Oh, they don't make them like they used to, do they? And then, you know, from there he goes on to do, like, through the fucking keyhole or some shit. It's just baffling. <laughs> oh, um, do we, do we want to wrap up a bit there or? I, I like. think we can probably call it there. I mean, what's what's the moral of the story, really? Abandon comedy, listen to podcasts. The moral of the story is that... Ah, <laughs> uh, <laughs> there we go. It wasn't all concentrated in one place. <laughs> yeah. The, the, um, the live boys are, like, spread throughout the, throughout the episode, like little wonderful yeah. nuggets of joy. This, is, this is mild. The libel is is marbled in like a fine wagyu beef. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I think the, I don't know the, the moral of this. The moral of the story is that uh, is is like on the one hand, that's one of the reasons why I like try to hesitate to define left wing comedy. Like, there's certainly comedy that's done by left wingers that's political, but like if we want to get if if we want to think about what's good comedy, I mean, it's I think it's you know it's. It's it's wee man getting fired out of a catapult into into a river while you know dressed as a little angel. I think that's co- that that's what it is. There it is. It should just it should just be the platonic it idea of comedy. Art for, it should be arts for art's sake. There it is. It should be art for art's sake. And the and unfortunately because culture war is just this glom of misery that just goes on to infect everything and just has people tutting at one another and laughing loudly at how much their team is supported we've forgotten what art for art's sake can mean and so we have to go all the way back to these beautiful beautiful boys from westchester sort of just you know hitting each other in the balls (laughs) let's go all the way to the across the pond to find out the meaning of comedy yeah or of course chris morris for ideological purity, yeah. seek the nut shot. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Let's go. We're got. It's we're, we're we're aiming at a future of worker-controlled Britain with nut shot compilations for all. I feel like that's the fucking episode <laughs> title, to be honest. Yeah, we've managed, we've managed to get through the full hour without mentioning Dapper Laughs, which is quite an achievement, I think. Oh fuck me! Oh, let's not. 
<laughs> yeah, well, it's just not. Yeah. Um, yeah, Riley, thanks for coming on, mate. Um, I, I said to you before we even started this podcast, I'd get you on, and that was over a fucking year ago, so glad we finally got you. Yeah. Yeah, fucking hell, man. Yeah, Ryan. <laughs> I, mean, I remember, we went for, we, we had several beers before the uh, Edinburgh, Edinburgh live show, uh, and I was like, have me on your fucking podcast, and it took you a goddamn year. <laughs> Yeah, Riley, thank you for being the uh, inspiring force behind this entire podcast coming into fruition so these guys can inflict the worst articles on earth on me. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I, I basically, look, I, I created I created TF just so that I could torture Milo with increasingly um, in, increasingly sort of Baroque and arcane startups for <laughs> that, that just sort of, you know, um, like, you know, make mint berry flavored water or what have you. For some reason, that one's been on my mind today. It's called Divi. So fucking stupid. Awful. Just a dumb, dumb account. Maybe that's maybe that's comedy. Maybe the v- venture capitalists are just, are just playing a, a, a big old joke. Oh, it's universe. It's everyone has the Connor O'Malley brainworm. I mean, yeah. What's what's funnier than Elon Musk? Um, I mean, he is epic. He tweeted the Rick and Morty thing. Oh, and he's got the bacon thing. Yeah, we love that. Yeah, yeah, it's cool. Anyway, uh, but yes, the, that's a very long way of saying thank you very much for having me. It has been a real pleasure. Uh, where can people find you, Riley? Well, um, I uh, host a podcast called the Bony Island Whitefish. Um, it's got some other stuff is, on there. Yeah, uh, I think most. I'm gonna, I'm, I'm going to stick to plugging the Bony Island Whitefish. Um, that's uh, <laughs> on the Trash Future or Bunta Vista uh, Patreons, and it's myself and Andrew Law from Bunta Vista. Uh, every week we watch an episode of season five of the uh, 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 Fox American Crime like procedural uh, police series Bones, uh, where they solve crimes related to bones. Um, <laughs> season five is when the show got very strange because procedurals always get strange after a couple of seasons because they can't do like murder of the week anymore. So now they're like heavily implying for the first several minutes of an episode that maybe a mummy did the murder and then everyone has to take it seriously for a moment. And that's a lot of fun. Um, they have a theme song by the crystal <laughs> method as well. So, uh, listen to the Boney Island whitefish. Listen to the Boney Island whitefish people. Yeah, that's exactly it. Okay. All right. There we go. Excellent. Thanks, everyone. Um, well, catch you later. Yep. Bye. Bye. See ya.